This morning I want to speak to you a few moments on the subject, how can we choose our priorities? Here in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks to us about that and gives us some principles that will help us in our life. We all have priorities. We have choices to make, how to spend our life, how to use our life. Life is not as simple as it used to be. In fact, we have more choices to make than ever before. They tell us that there are over 200 different kinds of soaps and detergents in the world. And I think that's a dirty shame. (laughs) There are 350 kinds of frozen food. Teenagers probably have 450 kinds. There are 81 different kinds of pet food, so even our dogs and cats can be confused. But I think all of us will agree that priorities are very important, aren't they? Sometimes people make the wrong choices with their priorities. Sometimes people drop out of life. Some follow the world. We can do either. We have a choice to make in our lives. Salvation is a priority. It's a choice. Every one of us has to make a choice in our lives to follow Jesus Christ or to reject Jesus Christ. Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. If we're not following him, we're against him. There's no fence riders in in salvation. You're either on or off. You're either for him or against him. You're with him or you're against him. We choose between God and Satan. We choose between sin and right. We choose between good and evil. We choose between heaven and hell. But as a Christian, many times we have to make a choice between Not the good and the bad, but between the good and the best. And sometimes we have to decide what is best. And so we have to ask ourselves the question then, how do I choose my priorities? Some things are good, but there may be some things that are better for me as a Christian. How do I decide that? How do I choose that? Not just spend my life or waste my life or mark time, but to invest my life for the glory of God to let it be used to bring honor and glory to the Lord. In you and me living for what really counts, I believe that there are four factors that we have to consider to make the right choices, to have the right priorities in in our life. And they're given to us here in the passage that Brother Craig read for us this morning. First of all, if I'm going to make the right choices, I need to consider the Lord's return. My choices in life must be made in the light of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And in our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says in verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now you know that's our theme verse for the nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. But this is a little talking about something a little different from that. Verse 52 explains it. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immorality. So when the corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory Old death, where is thy sting? Old grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, 
Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So as we consider the Lord's return, we understand we're not questioning is the Lord coming back or not. We know He's coming back again. He's told us that in His Word several times. And so as we think about that, we find that Paul believed in the certainty of the coming of the Lord. He believed Jesus was coming back again. Verse number 52, again, he said, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trump for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. He didn't say Jesus might come. He said he is coming. We know that. Just as sure as he came the first time 2,000 years ago, he's coming back again. Hold your finger there in 1 Corinthians 15 and go over with me a little bit farther in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Many of you are familiar with these verses when, again, Paul talks about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13, he says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. When he talks about asleep, he's talking about, he's not talking about the people that fell asleep in the church service. He's talking about those that are dead, the saved people who have passed away. They're asleep in Christ. He said, I I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not as even as others which have no hope. When our loved ones die and they know the Lord, we sorrow. We miss them. We're going to be separated from them temporarily. But he said, we sorrow not even as others which have no hope. A person who's not saved has no hope. Their loved one, if they're not saved, is going to be spending eternity in hell forever and forever. We, our loved ones that are saved, we know they're with the Lord, so we sorrow, but we have a hope. We're going to see them again. It's not the same sorrow. Verse 14, he explains that. He said, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we believe that, don't we? Amen? If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Our loved ones that have died are asleep in Jesus. They're with the Lord. And he says, even so will God bring with him. So when Jesus comes back again, he's going to bring our loved ones that are in heaven. They're going to come with him. Now, remember when he comes back the first time, he's just coming in the clouds. He's going to call us up together to be with him. Later, he's going to come back to the earth to set up his kingdom and rule for a thousand years. But at the rapture, he comes in the clouds. He brings the loved ones, our loved ones with him. Verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, that's an old English word that means proceed or go before, will not precede them which are asleep. So, the Lord's coming, our loved ones are with him, We're alive and remain on earth. We're not going to precede. We're not going to get ahead of those. They're already with him. But we're going to be caught up together. Verse 16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now that means the Baptists are going to get to go first. The dead in Christ. No. The dead in Christ are those that have died, who are asleep. Their soul and spirit is with the Lord. Their body is dead in the grave. They are going to rise first. When the Lord shouts, the trump sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, that's us, those of us who are saved, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So they'll be caught up. Their bodies will be resurrected from the dead. You know, it's an amazing thing when you think about God raising people from the dead. 
I don't know how he's going to do all that. You know, I haven't figured out how he's going to do somebody who has a heart transplant and, and where that heart, whose body, you know, all that, you can get all kinds of questions. I've seen pictures where they show tombstones, to, you know, over and holes in the sides of airplanes of people being raptured. I, I don't think that's going to take place. I think it'll be ju just like Jesus in the upper room after his resurrection. The doors were shut and locked and he came through the closed doors. I don't think you'll see anything different. I think the strange thing will be if the rapture took place right now this morning. If you're not saved, you'd still be here. The rest of us would be gone. I think you'll look around here and you'll see a pile of clothes on each place where a person was. We're gone. We're going to be clothed in the light and the righteousness of the Lord and we'll be gone. So if the rapture takes place and you look around and you see all these clothes and stuff laying around, you're in trouble. Amen. You better make sure you're saved before that happens. Amen? And it could take place at any time. And then he finishes up that verse, verse 17, says, We're caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. From that day on forever, wherever the Lord is, we're going to be there. We'll be with him. Wherefore, verse 18 says, comfort one another with these words. So in light of our choosing our priorities, what we do with our life, the choices that we make, we need to remember Jesus is coming back again, and we want to be ready for that. Paul believed in the certainty. There was no doubt in his mind Jesus is coming. The world thinks we're nuts. In some, in some cases, they're right. But anyway, the world thinks we're crazy, don't they? But we have God's word, Amen. And God says he's coming back, and we take him at his word. He said he was coming to the earth once before. He came the first time. He was crucified on the cross. One day he's going to come back again to this earth. So Paul believed in the certainty of his coming. Secondly, Paul believed in the eminency of his coming. The eminency, that just simply means it could happen at any moment. He was expecting the Lord to come at any moment. It could happen today. It could happen before this service is over. Look at verse 51. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. What's the next word? We. Look at verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. What's the next word? We. Who said that? Paul did. The Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, We shall not all sleep. Paul was expecting Jesus to come back at any moment. He said, We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. He didn't say they. He didn't say way out there in the future when Jesus comes back, they will not all sleep. They, he said we. He was expecting Jesus to come back. And if the Apostle Paul was expecting him then, how much more should we expect him now? Amen? I personally believe we're very close to the coming of the Lord. All the stuff that we see going on in our world today and even now, the big emphasis now is on all this artificial intelligence and you hear all kinds of stuff about that. You know what it reminds me of? the Tower of Babel in the Old Testament. They said, we're going to build a tower up to heaven. We're going to be like God. You know, I think there comes a point when God says, okay, man, that's as far as you can go. And when he does, we're going to be out of here, amen? We're going to be with him. So Paul expected the Lord to come back at any time. If you're here today and you're not saved, you better be thankful that he hasn't come yet and you still have a chance. You still have a chance. And then thirdly, Paul believed in the victory of his coming. He believed in the victory. Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The dead in Christ shall be raised, and we will be changed to be like him. And in light of Christ's coming, what are we living for? 
Are we living for self? Are we living for the pleasures of sin? Or do we have victory over that and we're living for God and we're serving God and making our life count for the Lord? Whatever God has called you to do, do your best and do it for the glory of God. Give it your best. He doesn't call everybody to be a preacher. I understand that. But if he's called you to be a preacher, called you to be a missionary, called you to to sing in the choir, he's called you to, to teach a Sunday school class or work with the children or work with the teenagers, whatever God's called you, do your best for the glory of God. If he's called you to work in a factory, if he's called you to be a salesperson, if he's called you to be a garbage collector, whatever he's called you to do, do it for the glory of God and do your best for him. Success in life is just simply this. It's finding the will of God for your life and doing it. That's success. And God's will for your life is not God's will for my life. God's will for my life is not God's will for your life. Find what God's will is for your life and do it and do the best you can for the glory of God. And we'll find out what really counts when we do that. So consider the Lord's return. In my choices, I need to think about Jesus is coming back, and it could come today. I heard a preacher one time ask, he said, if you knew Jesus was coming back at midnight tonight, what would you do different the rest of the day? You know what? We don't know he's not coming at midnight tonight. He could come. Are we ready? Consider the Lord's return. Secondly, in our priorities, choosing our priorities, we need to consider the Lord's work. Consider the Lord's work. And that's where he comes in verse number 58. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now notice he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, He's talking to save people. He's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. Did you know we can be brothers and not be twins? Amen? As Christians, you know, sometimes we get this idea, I got to be exactly like this person, or I got to believe everything exactly like. We can be brothers in Christ and not be twins. Amen? We're not identical. I'm glad we're not. I'm glad I'm not your identical twin, and you're probably glad you're not my identical twin. (laughs) But spiritually, we can be brothers and not be twins. We believe the basic fundamentals of the truth, but all of us have some ideas, and when we get to heaven, you'll find out I was right after all. but... But we understand the Lord's work. He says, brethren... We're brothers. We work together. Back in the Old Testament, there's a story given about Abraham and Lot. And their crops and their their cattle had grown too much for the land, and they had to separate and go their separate ways in different directions. And we know Lot made the wrong choice, and he went towards Sodom and Gomorrah. We know what ended up, what happened to him. And Abraham made the right choice. He left the choice with God, and God always gives his best to those that leave the choice with him. But when they were talking about going their separate ways, Abraham said to Lot, he said, we have strife going on among our our workers, our cattlemen and so forth, our herders. And he said this, he said, we be brethren. In other words, he said, we shouldn't be fighting with each other. We should be working together. And so rather than fighting with each other, they went in different directions. 
And there's a verse that always puzzled me right before that. It names all the different people around. It says the Perizzites and the Hittites and the Amorites and all the different ones. It names all them. And then he talks about us being brothers. And I thought, why in the world does he say that? And I believe the reason he did was what he was trying to say to Lot is all of the world around us is watching us. We better not be fighting with each other. We better be working together to get the job done. And so when we consider our choices, we consider the Lord's work. We're brothers. We're working together for the cause of Christ. He starts out that verse, verse 58, with the word therefore. Whenever you find the word therefore or wherefore, you stop and see what it's there for or what it's wherefore. So that goes back to verse 57. Thanks be unto God, which, is giveth, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are part of the victory that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, and because we are part of His family, we are His children, therefore, He says, we're to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And he goes on into chapter 15, and in chapter 15, he talks about Christ's resurrection, the, the earlier part of that chapter. In chapter 16, he talks about our responsibilities that we have as believers. So he says to us, because we are brethren, because we are part of the family of God, and because we are part of the victory that he's given to us, he says, therefore, go to work, get to work. Do something for God. Make your life count for God. Don't just mark time and waste it. Every one of us will stand before God one day and all of us will wish we had done more. We'll wish we had done more. So he says, go to work. First of all, the Lord performs a work for us. There's a work that God does for us, that's salvation. We can't work for that, can we? The work for salvation was done on the cross. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left the crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Jesus suffered and bled and died. He paid my sin debt. I can't earn it. I can't work for it. It's paid. I received the free gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the work that he does for me. And then the Lord performs a work in us. That's sanctification. Once I get saved, God starts working in me to help me to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And from the day I get saved until the day I go to heaven... God is working a process in my life to help me to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I am not becoming more like Jesus, I am becoming less like Jesus, which means I am backslidden. Amen? There is no level plane in the Christian life. You're either going forward or you're going backward. And the Bible says the backslider is filled in his heart with his own ways. We get backslidden when we want to do our ways and our will instead of God way, God's ways and God's will. But God is working in every one of our lives to be, cause us to become more like Jesus. That's where Romans 8.28 comes into place. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. God has a purpose for every one of us. He's got a purpose for every one of the teenagers over here on this side and any of the teenagers that are over on the rest of the side too. He's got a purpose for every one of us. He has a reason for you being here. He has a purpose for every one of us as adults. And all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. God is working in my life to bring me to fulfill His purpose for my life. 
And that's called sanctification. And then the Lord thirdly performs a work through us. And that's our service to the Lord Jesus Christ. The work of the Lord is to share the victory that he talks about in verse 57 with the rest of the world. Because of what I must do, I must share the work of the Lord. I must share the victory. I must share the gospel. I must share the message. Because of what I must do, then I have to make some choices about some things I must not do. There's some things I can't do because I'm a child of God and I'm doing the work of God. There was a gospel tract that was written some years ago and the title of it said, Others may, you may not. Sometimes there's things that are fine for other people to do, but I can't do them because that's not part of God's purpose and plan for my life. I'm not talking about right and wrong. I'm talking about better and best. Amen? And so there's some things that I have to say I can't do. Now, there's some things that all of us know we can't do because God's Word's very clear about it. Because of what I must do, there's some things I don't do. I don't schedule anything else for church time on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night because that's time that I've given to the Lord. It's God's time. He said, be ye steadfast. Steadfast means be faithful, be dependable. I believe the greatest hindrance to God's Word to God's work in this world today is unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness. Just be faithful to the Lord. Vicki and I were driving in the parking lot today, and Bob was walking up the hill coming in there. And I thought, there's Bob. Every time the doors are open, Bob's here. That ought to be true of every one of us. We ought to be faithful, steadfast, faithful, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And he says, always abounding. Not just some of the time, all of the time. John chapter 15 talks about us bearing fruit. Look back there with me for a moment to the Gospel of John chapter number 15. And notice what he says there, John chapter 15. And he talks about us bearing fruit. John chapter 15 and verse 1, Jesus said, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away. God says if we're not bearing fruit, he takes us away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. So God talks about first bearing fruit. Every Christian should be bearing fruit. Then he says he purgeth it, that it may bring forth, what's the next two words? More fruit. So God says we're to bear fruit. Then he says he wants us to bear more fruit. And then look down at verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth, what? Much fruit. You see, we can bear fruit. We can bear more fruit. We can bear much fruit. For without me, he said, you can do nothing. I don't know about you, but I want to be in that much fruit part. Amen? I don't want to just bear some fruit. I don't even want to just bear more fruit. I want to bear much fruit for the glory of God. That is the work of God through me, that service as I'm serving God and living for Him and doing what He wants. So he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's interesting that he chooses the word labor. Your labor, your toil. Sometimes the work of God is hard work. Sometimes it takes everything out of us. Sometimes you, you get tired. 
Vicky and I left here. We were here at a prayer meeting Wednesday night. We left Thursday and drove for nine hours to Augusta, Georgia. We had the board meeting Friday for Final Frontier Foundation, and, and we had an excellent meeting and seeing what God is doing in missions around the world. And then we drove partway back Friday evening and the rest of the way back Saturday. And, and, and the time we got back Saturday night, we were exhausted. We were tired. We have sometimes revival meetings and vacation Bible school and and we just had Easter Sunday and we're going to have revival and anniversary Sunday and we get through those things and we're tired. Let me say this. Sometimes I get tired in the work, but I never get tired of the work. I never get tired of the work because our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen? It's not in vain in the Lord. So in making my choices, first of all, I have to consider the Lord's return. Secondly, I must consider the Lord's work. Thirdly, I must consider the Lord's people. I must consider God's people. In chapter 16, he gives us three words that describe our relationship to the Lord's people. In verse number 1, the word fellowship. He says, Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do you. He talks about saints, he talks about churches, and both of those words are plural. That means he's talking about the local church, churches. He's talking about the local church. We are a part of a local assembly of Christians. Therefore, I examine my priorities as to how it fits with the fellowship with God's people. I don't build my life around the sports team that my kids are on at, at high school. I build my life around the churches, around fellowship with God's people, the saints. Examine your, your fellowship. Examine your work in light of the fellowship. We stand before the Lord, and, I, and, and I'm not picking on anybody this morning, but I am afraid that there are a lot of people who build their lives around their children's sports act, activities and take little consideration for the work of God. Years ago, we had a family in our church. Their son was an excellent football player. They had dreams of him someday playing for the NFL. I forget what the percentage is of those who play college football and end up in the NFL. It's very low, but 1%. They had very, very high, and there were many times they would come to church but there were times about quarter to 12, they'd slip out and leave to get him to the football game in time. And I told him then, I said, you are teaching your son that the football game is more important than God and than church. And of course, they, they, they didn't get mad at me, but they argued with me about it and didn't agree with me about it. But I want to tell you something, years later, when their son got away from the Lord, they called me and they said, preacher, you were right. You were right. And that's not the only thing. There's many other things that we let take the place. We kind of fit church in. We fit God into our schedule when it ought to be our schedules fit into God's plan and God's desire for our life. So he says the saints, the churches. And then the second word is fellowship. Verse number two, he says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store if God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. The first day of the week, the Lord's day. We meet with God's people. If we're going to bring our collection, that means we got to be here, right? And by the way, he doesn't say, you send it and you stay home. He said, you bring it. Now, I'm glad today we have internet and, and online giving and all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean you don't come to church. You still come, amen? amen. And you still be here. So worship, 
the first day of the week. We get together with God's people, not at grandma's, not gone fishing. I heard a fellow named his boat visitation. And when people would call the pastor's wife and say, where's the preacher at? They say, oh, he's out on visitation. And he was out on his boat. Well, I think some Christians do that on Sundays. They, they, I don't know if they name their church sun, their boat Sunday school or make it worship service or whatever. But Christians, we got to put the Lord first in our life. Do you know there are people in other parts of the world that would die to have the privilege that we have this morning to be in church? In our board meeting in, in Augusta this week, we were talking about the house churches and some of the restricted areas of the world. They'll have 50 people in a house church. Brother Nelm said, but that's not all. He said they'll have 15 services in one day. And everybody's assigned to what service they can come to so they can get all the people in and not attract the attention of the government with a big crowd there at one time. When I was in Russia some years ago, I went to a house church. We probably had about 50 people in that house church. It was in an apartment building. It was kind of a, what we would call a run-down apartment building. There was, no, there was no lights outside. There was no lights in the hallway. We had to carry flashlights. We got up to that room. We had a, we had a wonderful service. It was a house church, an amazing thing to meet like that. And we understand we have the freedom to come and to meet together. What a privilege we have. They would die for what we have. You say, well, I can worship as well at home as I can here. Well, I'll be honest with you, I can't. I can't. How, how did your song service go at home? How did your offering go? How did your invitation go? You know, when you have your service at home, did you ever get come to the altar and get right with God and make some decisions for the Lord? Now, I understand we can worship at home, and I thank the Lord for live stream. But I, I wish I could tell you how many times I've talked to people, and some of you here today would tell me this. It's not the same when you're sick and you can't come and you watch at home. It's not the same. Not the same. We need that worship. We need that fellowship. We need that time together. And then the third word is stewardship. Again, verse 22, he talks about, Lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. Paul discusses the resurrection, and he proves that Jesus is alive in chapter 15. Now in chapter 16, he talks about the offering. You see, you cannot separate doctrine, the resurrection, from duty, which is giving. Doctrine and duty always go hand in hand. And there are admonitions that he gives to us in verse number 2. He tells us, first of all, that our stewardship should be systematic. He says, upon the first day of the week. Now, I know today we get paid at different times and so forth, but it's systematic. We get paid, we bring our offering, we bring our tithes to the Lord. And then it's personal. He says, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you, everyone, doesn't make any exceptions. He says, everyone, it's personal, it's for me. And then it's proportionate. He says, as uh, you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him. There's some that can give more, some can give less. That's why the Lord makes the tithe a percentage. It's based on what we get. It is proportionate, and then it's through the church. In verse number 1, he said, The collection for the saints is I have given order to the churches. Not the radio or the television program or some other ministries. through the church. It comes through the, the local church. So I consider the Lord's return. As I think about my choices, I consider the Lord's work. I consider the Lord's people. And lastly, I must consider the Lord's will. I must consider God's will. Look at verse 5. 
Paul said, Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do not pass through, for I do pass through Macedonia. And then notice this, he says, And it may be, it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. If the Lord permit. You see, I've got to consider what God wants for my life. And all of us have choices to make. I know, Brother Ed, you were praying about a job, and you had to ask the Lord, what is God's will? Not what does Ed want, what does God want? And every one of you have had choices like that when you came to marriage, when you came to your vocation, when you came to college. And what does God want for my life? And we have to make choices, if the Lord permit, if the Lord will, if this is what God wants me to do. Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we don't have time to go back there yet uh, this morning, but Paul had some plans and he had to change them because it wasn't God's will. And so he had to change and do some things a little bit differently. Go with me to James chapter 4, if you would. Almost to the end of the New Testament, we were looking at James 5 in our, in our auditorium class this morning. But look at James chapter 4. And James describes three types of people here in chapter 4. James chapter 4, look at verse number 13. He says, Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. He said, your, your, your life is like that steam that comes out of the teapot. It comes out and you see it for a few seconds and it's gone. It's like a vapor that vanishes away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. James describes three types of people. First of all, he said, there are those who don't even care about God's will. I'll be honest with you, I'm sure there's some people here this morning you could care less about God's will. You care less about God's will of being in church this morning. You care less about God's will of what you're going to do with your life. Look at verse number 13. He says, Go to now ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. In other words, we're going to do whatever we want to. There are those who don't care about God's will. Secondly, there are those who know God's will but won't do it. Look at verse number 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. There's some people that know God's will but they don't want to do it. And so they're not going to do it. I'll be honest with you, there have been times in my life when I knew what God's will is and I didn't want to do it. And I'm glad He's still working on me, amen? I'm glad He's patient. There are times when our flesh rebels against what God wants for us, but God says we're to consider God's will in making our choices. What does He want? And God says if I don't do what He wants, it's sin. It's not right. And then there are those who know God's will and do it. Look at verse 15. He says, For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. In other words, if it's God's will, I'm going to do it. Not, what are we going to do? I'm going to go, no, if God's will. The Lord willing. If that's what God wants me to do, that's what I'm going to do. In doing the will of God, 
We are building a life that counts. We're making the right choices. We have the right priorities in our life. You know, people thought in the Old Testament that Abraham was crazy. He left home. He was looking for a city, the Bible says, whose builder and maker was God. They thought he was crazy. But he did the will of God. He turned out pretty good, didn't he? They thought Moses was crazy. Moses was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's living in the palace and he has all the riches and the wealth and conveniences. And the Bible says he chose the reproach of the people of God over the treasures of the Pharaoh. They thought he was crazy. He chose God's will. D.L. Moody, they thought he was crazy. In fact, a lot of people called him Crazy Moody. You know what's interesting? We say people called him Crazy Moody. We don't know any of their names, but we know D.L. Moody's name because he chose to do the will of God. We must examine our priorities, how we spend our time, where we go, what we do, how we spend our money. One second after we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, some of us will wish that we could go back and rearrange our priorities and do things a little differently. 1 John 2.17 says, But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Mark 8.36 says, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? If you got to do whatever you wanted, if you got to get everything the world could offer, and you lose your own soul, you've missed it all. What should it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Let me ask you this question in closing. How are you living your life? Are you living it in regards to the Lord's return? He's coming back. It could be today. Are you considering the Lord's work? I'm, a, I'm laboring. I'm always abounding in the work of the Lord. Are you considering the Lord's people? Are you fellowshipping and worshiping and giving? Are we considering God's will? Or do we just not care? Do we know God's will and won't do it? Or are we willing to say, if the Lord wills. If that's what God wants, that's what I want. That's what I'm going to do. How about your priorities and your choices for life? Are you making the right choices? Are you, do you have the right priorities in your life? Let's bow our heads together. Father, thank you for your word. What a privilege it is to have some guidelines and direction for our lives to know that you're coming back just as sure as you came the first time. To know that we're to be busy in your work serving you. To consider your people as we gather together in fellowship and worship and stewardship. And then to consider your will. Lord, sometimes we pray and we struggle with finding the will of God and and if we're willing to do it, you'll show it to us. You'll help us to know. May we be willing. May we make the right choices. Lord, there may be some people here today that have never made the choice to trust Jesus as their Savior. Would you help them to make that choice today? There are others, maybe you're speaking to them about something specifically you want them to do with their life. Some of our young people have to choose about what college to go to, about what person to marry or what relationship to build or 
We have choices about our vocation and our work. We have choices about our church every Sunday. We have choices about our giving. We have choices about witnessing. All kinds of choices in our life. Would you help us to make the right choices? To have the right priorities in our life. And when we stand before you, we'll still probably every one of us say, I wish I could rearrange, do things a little bit differently. Now's when we can do something about it. So help us to do it for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.